When I tell parents that like for every one uh, uh, gluten symptom that is digestive, there are eight that are neurological, right? Like that the, the, the number one mm-hmm. tissue in the, in the, in the body that gluten likes to attack is the brain tissue. Like that's like, Oh, okay. We're going to give this a shot. And I have literally had people go off gluten, like take their kid off gluten for a while. And like the teachers think that they're on medication because there's that much of a profound shift. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And we're talking to my colleague and fellow FDN practitioner, Jess Sherman. She works primarily with parents to help kids who have anxiety and other mental health things. Uh, She's been doing this for a while. She has started in, or had started in 2007, I believe it was, became an FDN only a few years back, but she was working as a nutritionist um, since 2007, and a holistic nutritionist at that. I'll actually give her bio first, and I'll kind of comment on it, because her bio does include a lot of what we will discuss today. She helps kids experiencing anxiety feel better so life can settle down. Along with being a certified teacher, Jess is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, board certified in practical holistic nutrition. With anxiety in kids now at an all-time high, she is working to help doctors, therapists, teachers, kids, and parents understand and apply a whole-child, whole-body, trauma-informed, nutrition and lifestyle-focused approach to helping them from the outside in and the inside out. Her book, Raising Resilience, Take the Stress Out of Feeding Your Family and Love Your Life, along with her Calm and Clear Kids program and her Resilience Roadmap, have reached families all over the world. I thought this was extremely timely. I mean, honestly, there would really not be a bad time for an episode like this. But I think what's happening now is kind of interesting because over the last two years and change since the whole world shifted and we had this pandemic go on, I I think in the beginning it was more obvious as to why kids were anxious, depressed, and all this stuff. And it's not that we wrote it off, quite the opposite. But since there was so much understanding with it, it it was kind of just like, all right, let's all go through this together. Whereas now when I'm back in the schools and stuff, I mean, it's normal enough in the schools. It's not, I don't know where you live, but in the United States, most places that I go, it's pretty calmed down. And yet we're still seeing the aftermath, the effects of what we did to these kids. (laughs) They're nervous. They are anxious. They have behavioral issues. They are not really at the level of maturity that you would expect socially. I always make kind of a joke that's not supposed to be funny, that an eighth grader kind of acts like a sixth or seventh grader a lot of the times, and you can apply that to pretty much any grade. And so Jess is going to talk to us today about what she saw, because she actually doesn't have a personal health story, and that's very rare on this show, but she saw something going on in the kids years and years and years ago that led her into this new world of working with them. And 
I'm just so thankful that there are people out there that are able to access Jess because I'm looking back at my own life and thinking, wow, in 2007, how different my life was and how different things were for me. And then what it would have been like to have someone like Jess help our family out. So I think you guys will really like this episode. Without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Hello there, Jess. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much. This is exciting. I normally have my headphones on. It doesn't really matter on Riverside, thankfully, because they have the echo cancellation. But I'm, I feel like naked on this podcast right now because normally I have those big podcaster headphones. Um, so I'm glad to be here with you, though. I appreciate you coming on because, I mean, it's a long story for anyone that's listening, but really short notice. And I appreciate you hopping on as someone that's like new, fresh. We've never talked to you before. Um, Jess is, in fact, an FDNP, a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So not only are we going to dive into her story a little bit today, we're actually going to talk about anxiety in kids. And I know that if you're a regular listener, you understand the first time I bring someone on, it's typically just about their story. But I think this topic is so important. I love that you brought it up. I'm in that space myself, both in the functional space and just mental health space when it's not related to functional medicine. And I think everyone could, there is no way that the people listening right now do not know someone, if not in relevant in their own life, that needs this message. So um, let's get started, though, with the story. I'd like to know, how did Jess even get into this? What were your first health symptoms? Because I know that you were, I mean, in your bio, it says you were a teacher. And so I'm guessing that came before the FDN. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's how I got here. It's a, it's, it's a, maybe a little bit of a different story from other, other, other folks you have on here because it really wasn't about my own health crash at all. It was about what I was seeing going on around me. And um, yeah, I was a teacher for a lot of years. I really, I've always wanted to work with kids. I've always been super interested in like what, what makes a person tick, you know, like what helps, what helps a kid grow into their best self and um, so I worked in a variety of capacities in, in, in different ways with, with kids, with, with all kinds of kids. I mean, kids, street kids, upper, upper class kids, private school kids, you know, substance abuse kids, like the whole gamut. And, um, and then that eventually brought me into the classroom where I taught high school for a number of years. And it was when I was teaching high school, first of all, I, I became exhausted because it's, you know kudos out there to anyone who is a teacher right now. <laughs> it is an exhausting job. It is full of passion and, and, but at the same time, it's, it's a, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult environment to live in and to work in. Um, so I was teaching school for a long time and there was this one moment I actually had my first baby and then went back to school in more of an administrative capacity and I was working at a private school at the time. So we had a headmaster, not a principal, but I was talking to him in his office and he dropped this like casual comment <laughs> that about 60% of the kids in our school were on some kind of medication. And we knew that because it was a boarding school. So we had a school nurse and she was doling out the meds. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I was like, what? How is that possible that more kids than not needed something you know, sometimes it was it was as simple as a laxative because they couldn't poo or sometimes it was, you know, a, a psych med because they were, you know, they had aggressive tendencies or or something like that. So it, it ran the gamut, but they needed more kids than not needed a medication to get through their day. And I was stunned by this. And I, I you know, I'd always been really interested in, in health and nutrition and um, just lifestyle stuff. And, and so I decided like to take a sabbatical cause I was kind of exhausted and I had a new baby and um, just, it was the right time to take a sabbatical. And I decided to go back to school to study nutrition. 
And um, so I, I became a holistic nutritionist, registered holistic nutritionist. And, and that's when I was like, like my mind, like I learned about toxins. I learned about gut health. I learned about all of the forces that impact how we feel, not only in our bodies, but how we feel in our minds. And I was like, I didn't know any of this as a teacher. I was like, if I had known this as a teacher, that there was like all this stuff going on, this chaos, like what FDN calls metabolic chaos going on in their bodies, you know, I would think differently about, you know, their anxiety and their ADHD and their, you know, like literally I would have kids like throwing themselves against the wall and throwing themselves against the chairs because they, what I understand now is like they needed that, that, that pressure. Um, anyway, so, so I, I, I understood, I started understanding kids very differently when I started to understand the insides of them. Um, and then, and then I got really interested in like, okay, how can wow. we, how can we dig further and like, fig, like look in the windows through these functional lab tests. And that, that took me to FDN. That's my story. Okay, cool. Well, this is unique. Um, I actually, for, for those that, uh, don't know, I mean, why, why would they, Jess and I have like not particularly crossed paths in our careers at, as FDNs, right? I, I mean, I've seen your name, but this is kind of cool to get to dissect this because that is unique. Um, almost universally, I can actually count like two other people who have gotten on this show that didn't have these very personal health stories of extreme stuff. So I actually admire that greatly that you saw pain in someone else's life and were willing to figure this out for them. I mean, that's that's kind of cool because there's you're fighting for these people that don't even know you're fighting for them. That's kind of an amazing thing to go and choose to do with one's life. What I'm curious about, because I, I see it as well. I don't know if you know this about me. I, I speak in schools. That's my job outside of FDN. So I go do these motivational talks for mental health. I don't necessarily talk about the functional side because my goal really there is to try to get them to understand that there's hope. Um, if I'm being blunt about it, I wouldn't necessarily say this directly in a school. But what I'm really trying to get them to avoid is drug overdose and um, suicide attempts, right? I want the most extreme cases of this to be avoided. How we heal is going to be pretty unique to everyone. I mean, there's people who have been severely abused and might not have ever gotten that trauma resolved. And of course, we both know they'd be better off with you know, a good nutrition plan. But at the same time, if they don't ever get that addressed properly, all the nutrition in the world is only going to ever do so much. So it's a very complicated topic. But when 60% of kids in a school are on a medication, it does not take a health professional to use their head and realize, okay, something about that doesn't add up. What I'm curious about though, is how did you initially make the connection? Like, why did you go do nutrition? Because I mean, this seriously, some people have very limited views about what might be causing health issues. Maybe they think it's kids on social media. Maybe they think it's kids not exercising. So how did you come to the conclusion that I should go study nutrition? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's interesting. I've reflected on this quite a bit. It's also, like, you know, it's interesting to me that I didn't go into special education, right? It's like I didn't, I didn't run I didn't want more educational tools. I didn't want more, I didn't want more things to talk about. I wanted to understand their bodies. And I don't know what, what it was intuitively. I mean, I'd always been really interested in, in food and, and I saw how these kids were eating and I saw how they were sleeping. And I, I had a, a particular vantage point because it was a boarding school. Um, and so I guess there it was, there was just something in there. I was like, ah, this is all connected somehow. I didn't quite understand how, but, um, yeah, it's interesting to me that I went, I went the nutrition route. I'm glad that I did, but <laughs> it was a hunch. I think it was a hunch. 
Well, this is where your story is not so dissimilar. And I kind of asked for that reason. And I didn't know if it was going to be that answer, but I'm glad it was. One of the things that I've noticed, Jess, is when I ask people on this show, now they're dealing with their own personal health issues. I ask them how they ended up going kind of against Western medicine, because for the average person, it's so hard to comprehend how tough of a decision this actually is if someone hasn't been through it like yourself in in your own way or another guest on this show, because you are being told by people who are put on top as like the smartest, some of the most educated, highest income earning people that you could possibly be in society, doctors, you have to go against them as probably a lay person. And that goes against everything we've ever been taught since day one. That doesn't really make sense to do that. And so I'm really impressed when people can do that. But when I ask them, what made you go to a more natural approach? The number one answer by far, 90% plus on this podcast in 180 something episodes is I just felt that it made sense. I had a gut feeling. My intuition told me. And I think there's something to be said about that, especially in this space. It seems to happen all the time. I'm not saying don't listen to your doctors. That's insane. But if something's not working or there's clearly like a problem, like Jess noticed, hey, 60% of kids on a medication, that's an objective way of showing that something's not working. That's when we want to follow that intuition. All right, if something's not working, it must be something else. Where do I go? And it's learning to uh, listen to that inner voice. And that took me a while, but now that's something that kind of guides me within my own life. How did, um, when you were going and I guess learning about these more holistic things, Oh, sorry. We, yeah. Well, I was just going to add in that, like, I, I we have a delay, guys. Sorry. <laughs> as a teacher, as a teacher, we were really frustrated, and we would talk about this in our in our meetings. And and I should I should put the caveat out there that we had a particularly difficult cohort of kids, right? The, the kids that were that came to our school, they needed something else. So it was maybe a little bit of a skewed. Um, you know, in terms of demographics and statistics, but we spent a ton of time talking about like, how do we help these kids feel better and and connect and, and, and a lot of emphasis on relationships. And as a teacher, it was really frustrating because when, when, when all of our tools weren't working, our only recourse was, was medication, like was to send them to, into the medical system, either to like psychoanalysis or in, you know, medication or what have you. And, and I felt really frustrated by that because I was like, ah, I think there's something else happening. And parents were really frustrated by that too, because every parent that I speak to, like, they don't want to put their kid on meds. They will, if they have to, like, they want to do the right thing for their kid, but you know, they all want to know their options. And so, uh, you know, that's what's really driving me is, is to help, help parents, teachers, therapists, doctors, like anybody who's interested in the well-being of kids, kids themselves, understand what their options are in the variety, you know, all the various options that they have so that they can make an educated choice and they can choose something that fits, that fits with, with, you know, what they feel is best. The, um, the health show that I was doing before I started doing this for FDN, the tagline was leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. And I think what you just described is it should be the mission of all of us, right? It's it's not being against medication. It's not being against counselors or anything like that because we just acknowledged already there's a unique time and place for any of those things, if not a combination of them. But when someone does not even realize that there are alternative options out there, that's not a level playing field. If you tell the kid, um, I had a 
a good friend that passed away from a drug overdose. He dealt with abuse, some really extreme stuff as a child. If I told him to do what I do, which is like, you know, catch sunrise every day, I wear my blue light glasses, I eat paleo and stuff like that. That's almost insulting for someone who's dealt with that. But similarly, for someone like me who had a pretty decent life to just say, oh, well, yes, you're deficient in um, you know, Zoloft, that's equally as insulting. And we might need a life jacket initially. Reed Davis talks about that in the course. That is okay. We got to keep people afloat. But the fact that the fact of the matter is this, Jess, I was offered the Zoloft, I was offered the Xanax, and there was nothing else. It was, here's this life jacket, that's great, but we're never going to help pull you out of the water in any other way or tell you anything about this. And it's usually because these people don't know. I'm not suggesting that they're hiding something, but they don't know it themselves. Most doctors don't look like they're sitting on the fountain of youth in their back office. Um, They look just as sick as the rest of us. Um, So when you were learning about this nutrition stuff initially, you said you learned about gut health and all these different things. Was there anything in particular that was just I don't know, like, I guess shocking. Like, did you just, I never even considered this before. Cause I know for me, like when I first heard about the gut brain connection, that was a revolutionary concept to myself at the time. So I'm just curious if there was any like shocking things that were ahas for you, um, connecting the dots for why 60% of these kids might've been on meds. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think intuitively I kind of knew, oh, I think there's something up with the processed foods. Like that was, that wasn't a shocker to me that processed foods are bringing literally messages of danger into our into our bodies and keeping our nervous system all revved up. Um, the gut brain connection was I, I had kind I kind of knew a little bit about it, but the the extent to which like the messages, the highway of messages that are being that are going from the from the gut to the brain, some from the brain to the gut also. So I always have to put that in there that like you know twenty percent of the messages going from the brain to the gut but 80% going from the gut to the brain that that really helped me because it helped it helped me understand that it's a bi-directional thing so like the way you it helped me understand that these kids are really stuck in a vicious cycle right they're how you think affects your gut and then what's going on in your gut affects how you think so like you're stuck so that was a big one and then i think the biggest one though was the impact of of chemicals and toxicity that one was massive and 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 the profound effect of just just this toxic soup that we're trying to to raise our kids in um and and how it's impacting our mitochondria how it's impacting um our our how, again it's a it's a vicious cycle because the the more talk the higher your toxic load the more impaired your detox capacity becomes so you get you get stuck in this vicious cycle so I think I think those were those were two biggies. But really, what it, what it helped me understand was that was that big picture, biology, psychology, and environment are are they all need to be taken into account if you really want to feel well. Um, and to to compartmentalize it doesn't just doesn't make any sense. Right. And we'll talk more a little bit about the specifics and the toxicity in a bit. I just wanted to know that. Um, that the answer to that question first. One thing I want to rewind to, because th- it's always an interesting part to me, and I think the audience as well, is we we talked about the summarized version of how you ended up getting to FDN, but I'm curious about more maybe specifics. Like, So when you said you studied nutrition, I'm guessing that was a formal maybe college thing. Like, How long did it take to get to FDN? And what was the appeal to you about this? What resonated with you when you were reading about the course or maybe watching videos? Well, I started because I was a new mom and I was, I started with nutrition because all of a sudden I was like, 
holy cow, I have to keep this kid healthy. And, and I was seeing, I was a teacher also. So I was seeing what was happening to kids. I was like, kids are disintegrating. And now I have this little baby and I got to do the right thing. And how do I do this? And I was looking around and like, I was like, ah, oh, someone guide me. Um, and that took me back to, that took me to nutrition school, because which was a college level um, thing. And that's when I started to see this whole other perspective for how we can, I could also, I could help moms like navigate this tricky business of feeding their own families, but then also this, like how we can help kids by bringing this perspective to everybody who's trying to help them. And, um, and, and that, so that was in 2007. And so I did that work for, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my math, but I did it for at least 10 years of just like helping parents understand how to feed their kids. Just this purely nutrition, um, you know, like we, when I was feeding babies, I was teaching about feeding babies. When I was feeding toddlers, I was fe- teaching about feeding toddlers. And, you know, there was a lot of allergy stuff in there, food sensitivity stuff in there. Um, and a lot of elimination diet type of things. I would work alongside naturopathic doctors often to, um, to kind of do the food piece when they were doing the, the strategy stuff. Um, and then I, I, I found out, I'm not sure how I found FDN. I think it was on my radar for, for quite a while because, um, I, I was, uh, I was aware of all of the tests because I was working with naturopathic doctors who were doing them. Um, so I was, I understood them. Um, but then I, I was like, ah, I want to go, I want to go deeper into this because I was still noticing that people were teaching to t- people were using the tests as treatment guidelines instead of like how FDN does it, which is like as a full package, like you can't just run one test. And, and I mean, you know, you talk about this all the time. It's like your, your, your tests are windows into the body. So, you know, if you look from one perspective, you'll see one story of what's going on in there. And then you need a couple of other perspectives to, to get a full picture of what's going on in there. And that can really guide your decisions. And for parents who are exhausted and maxed out and stressed out and like already, you know, (laughs) dealing with their own hormone issues and all that, we really need to make their plans efficient and, and, and like dial them into where they're going to get big bang for their buck in terms of their energy. So, well, all their resources. So that's what really drew me to, to FDN was like, I think this is a way that we can really like hone in on quickest on which leverage points parents can use with their kids. All right, cool. So you're a veteran. I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Again, I want to go back to what I said in the beginning. I really, I think as someone who dealt with this as a kid, I was super anxious, panic attacks, substance abuse. I mean, I was struggling and you know, I didn't end up leaving school until 2013. I didn't even graduate high school because of this. And to know that in 2007, there's already people out there like you that were recognizing these things and actually doing something about it. Um, I just, I commend you for that because I'm, I'm thinking about it now. And I feel like this would be a better received message. Like, you know, people kind of get it now or whatever that last 15 years. No, there's a significant social change in how people would have looked at something like that, or your willingness to like leave teaching and then go do that. That's, that's pretty impressive. How, um, before we even talk about the specific things maybe that get recommended to these families, what I think everyone is going to be wondering that's listening, because I know that we have a predominantly female 
audience, not exclusive, but predominantly female, if they're moms or soon to be moms, one of the first things they're going to wonder is how on earth are you navigating this modern world where the kid goes to school and gets the craziest foods in the world, or they go over their friend's house and they see what their friends are eating? Um, Because I feel like with your experience, you've probably learned a thing or two about these habit changes that are necessary for the families. So without even talking about like the what they have to eat or don't or not eat, how do you get a family on board with this and get them to get the kids on board when the entire world is against us for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is that is a challenge. <laughs> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pussyfoot around it. It is a challenge. And uh, one way that I do it is that about I guess it was 2015 or so, um, I stopped clinical work. I stopped where I was working in a in a brick and mortar office and I went online. And by going online, I can now talk to parents all over the world and I can bring them together in groups. And I, it it just, it makes all the difference when you know that you're not alone and the world's not against you. Even if it's only a small group of like a couple of people who show up to, you know, like, I mean, I've got a, so I've got a group of people and they could, we do office hours every week um, in, in a zoom room, we get together and we talk about implementation struggles and we talk about like, okay, what do you do? What do you do when this happens? What do you do when that happens? And, um, you know, so whoever, whoever wants to come can come. And sometimes it's, it's five people. Sometimes it's 10 people. Sometimes it depends on who's available, but, um, just to know that there are a couple of people out there who understand what you're going through makes all the difference to your own resolve, that this is important. So I, 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 I split it up for my, the families that I work with to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to do an investigative piece. We're going to learn a lot about your child's body that I can promise you, like at the end of the time where we are going to know what is going on in their body through the FDN labs and all that. Then there's the implementation piece, which I can make no guarantees about because I don't, I don't know their kids. I don't know their family. We will absolutely help them. We will, we know we will, we will help them and we will motivate them. And we do implementation challenges and we get them focused on, on things. Um, But sometimes parents tell me that it's like, okay, I know this piece is important, but I can't implement it right now. And I'm like, okay, cool. You can't do that right now. We're going to come back to it. You know, we're not going to let it, we're going to put it on the shelf. We're not going to drop it because this is an important piece of your child's physiology. We're going to come back to it and we're going to start somewhere else. So, you know, we have, that's, that's, I think what it comes down to is we have to find a starting point. We have to have the big picture plan and then we have to figure out where the starting point is. And it's different for, for each family. It is indeed different for each family and each client, and that is why we need to use functional lab testing to figure it out. And if you've been considering the FDN training course like myself and Jess went through and had success with, then go to fdntraining.com slash try FDN. That'll allow you to try the beginning of the course completely for free, no credit card required. That's fdntraining.com slash try FDN. All right, now back to today's episode. Fair enough. (laughs) And uh, I like that group aspect because I think... I think that's what FDN obviously does this on a large scale, but I think that's what FDN provides to so many people is that if I go out and just walk through the grocery store today, I would feel very isolated in what I do. And yet, thankfully, I'm lucky enough to live in this bubble where I go on my Facebook or Instagram and because I'm so connected with all of you guys, I feel like all I see is cool health stuff or posts about this or that or the next thing. And yeah, that's just not everyone's reality. In fact, it's not the majority's reality. So that group dynamic and just knowing that other parents are going through it and maybe tips and tricks that they learned. um, Yeah, that's very valuable. Now, I want to... 
get into some of the specifics because I'm fascinated by this, especially. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, like in the business world, how we talk about, you know, you are the sum of the five people you hang out most with um, and they, they rub off on you, which is exactly true. I have found to be true. It's the same thing with health and wellness. Like if you can if you can surround yourself with people who have the same values as you and the same you know motivations as you and some of the same problems as you and the same struggles as you, you're much more likely to 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 have success. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up. I that's one of my favorite, not a quote per se, but like a principle of that. And it's something you have to constantly remind yourself with because if I'm stagnant in one or more areas of my life, I need personal responsibility for that, of course. But I also look at like, okay, well, what are the five people around me doing? Oh, shockingly, they're all doing the same thing or they're stuck in the same spot. So you gotta change the environment and then watch yourself change. And that that's we're just we're slowly pushing that. <laughs> you know, we have our little core group of health freaks in the functional space and we'll slowly infect the rest of them with this good message of health. It is now, getting into the so specifics. I'm, I'm curious. Sorry, we have a we have a delay. It is changing so much. I <laughs> yeah. just want to put that Guys, in. There. I apologize, by the way. We're not this it, delay is so bad. I it won't come up in the edit, so they'll just think we're like stupid. But <laughs> for us it's terrible. So we apologize. We're doing our best. Well, I just wanted to say that the tides are changing. Like it, they really are. People are more interested. I think having 10 years, just going back to the gut brain thing, having like more than 10 years of solid research on that, people are starting to come around. I'm I'm starting to get, you know, even some doctors are being like, maybe you should go talk to Jess. I'm starting to get, you know, teachers interested. How can I, how can I talk to the parents about this stuff without being, you know, stepping on people's toes? So people are, people honestly, like, I, I still feel like people want to do right by kids. They still want to, they want kids to thrive. They want kids to do well. They want information and, and ears are open. Absolutely. What are some of the maybe most common things or just themes that you're seeing on the lab testing that you're utilizing? Because I know that we talked about toxicity. I also understand that everyone's individualized, but I, but I have found that this question has merit because you know when, when someone serves 40-year-old women um, that are dealing with certain conditions, I found that there's patterns there. Or maybe hyperathletic males, there's patterns there. So is there something that's coming up a lot for these kids with the tests that you're utilizing? Yeah, there's five main things that are coming up all the time. <laughs> kind of boiled it down to that. There's uh, there's nutrient imbalances. There's food reactions. There's toxicity, which we've talked about, and and usually the toxicity stuff is is paired with compromised detox pathways, and usually there, there's a genetic piece going on there. Um, there's gut imbalances we've already talked about. And uh, in some cases, there's infections, whether those are infections in the gut or those are things like, you know, strep and stuff and things like that that are putting pressure. They're, all these things, like all, all, they're do, all they're doing is they're adding more stress to an already stressed out body, right? Like FDN is all about uncovering hidden stress, right? And I, I wrote a book called Raising Resilience back in 2016. And this was way before FD, I, I discovered FDN. Um, and, and that was my goal with that book was to help parents go beneath diagnosis and understand their kids through the lens of stress. What FDN helped me understand more specifically was how stress impacts the body. And what I'm most interested in how it is how it affects the nervous system. So I kind of took the hidden stress acronym that, that FDN uses and translated it into what I see specifically for anxiety and mood and learning issues in kids. And, and those are the things I'm seeing 
repeatedly, particularly the gut ones. Um, and nutrient imbalances, those are big. I'm seeing a lot of copper toxicity. I'm seeing a lot of zinc deficiency. Um, I'm seeing a lot of mineral imbalances. And yeah, it's, it's, it becomes so evident when you see it on paper and a ton of food reactions and, and gut problems. Right. I think this is where the labs are very applicable because people need to see these objective things sometimes to get motivated. And I think I would imagine at least as a parent, I'm not one, but if I'm seeing my kids lab results and I can see, whoa, these things are really messed up. And I'm, I know I'm having these behavioral issues or whatever it might be, physical health issues too. Then yeah, I think that's very motivating. So I, I love the lab tests for that reason, because yes, the implement uh, implementation might be hard, but if you know there's something about knowing it objectively that kind of helps you push through tougher times, or maybe you fall off the wagon, but you get on a little quicker than you would have had someone just recommended something loosely without any objective proof that that person actually needed that recommendation. It's easier to fall off because you're like, well, I don't even know about this anyway, versus the food sensitivities one, I would say is one of the biggest motivators, right? When you can see that you're reacting to a food that's black and white, either you are, or you aren't, um, either it's severe or it's, you know, really non-existent. And it's tough every time to go eat that food or serve your child that food when you know that this is going to um, kind of tick them off a little bit. How did, because I'm assuming that you're working with parents in public or that have kids in public schools as well. And I know we already kind of discussed the implementation thing, but I'm trying to think about this. Like, it, is it really practical to get kids to change their behavior even in public schools? Like, is that something that's happening or is that just really something that's a huge barrier that you just have learned to um, navigate? Because I feel like that'd be one of the biggest concerns from the people listening is this idea of, all right, well, I can control my kid all the time and then they go to school and then and then that's it. Like that surpasses even the uh, other implementation question I asked. Like that's just a totally really tough thing. It is a really tough thing. It's a, We talk about it a lot. Um, I'd say a couple of things. One is that just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So, um, you know, I tell parents, like, you need to know this information because the more information you have about your child, the more you can make constructive decisions on their behalf. And the more you can enter into a, a, a positive, constructive conversation with other people. Like, there was a time when, like, talking about ADHD meds in school from a like between a teacher and a parent was like a eh, kind of taboo thing or like, Hey, I think you should go to a psychiatrist kind of thing. Now it's like you walk in any school, there's, there's like head, like noise canceling headphones and there's like quiet spaces. And there's like, people understand about neurodiversity and, and they understand about food allergies. Like, so this is just another one of those things. Like there is, there is a lot of work we need to do. I love talking to teachers. I love talking to teachers about this stuff, about some of the things, because it's still a very, teachers are in a very awkward position when they are maybe like a very health minded teacher and they're seeing junk come in the lunches. Like, how do you have that conversation with the parent without blaming the parent for, you know, whatever, they're they're choosing so it's a very tricky tricky situation but on the on the flip side there there are some things that that teachers can be aware of you know bringing bringing any kind of food in into schools or having snacks or birthday celebrations things like that that could be a little bit more inclusive for kids it's changing it is definitely changing over the, over the last 10 years um people you know people like Gluten sensitivity is almost as con common as peanut allergy in the lexicon of, of of teachers, right? So it's not taken as seriously because it's not life-threatening the way anaphylaxis is. But, 
you know, they're open to they're open to conversations, but we have a lot of work to do to change change the culture of schools to be one that is more health promoting and more more conducive to kids taking care of their own health. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean we can't try. <laughs> yeah. I, well, abs- I mean, hey, we wouldn't be on this podcast today if I didn't believe in it. You know, I always um I've it's a side story, but I have a, a friend. He's absolutely brilliant. He's very aware of like a lot of the crazy things going on in the world. And he just kind of gets locked up in them and starts thinking about them. And we talk about that together. And I still have a pretty optimistic outlook on this world. And he asked me, how the heck are we talking about the same thing? And yet you have this optimistic outlook. And I asked him one day, I said, do you think there is even, and I said, don't give me a hard time. Answer me honestly. Do you think there is at least bottom line, at least a 1% chance of us figuring this stuff out. And Jess, we're talking about things from the issues with kids to environmental issues, like all this kind of stuff, right? I said, do you think there's a 1% chance at least? He's like, well, yeah, there's probably more than that. I said, cool, man, then we better get to work, right? <laughs> like if it's zero, I'm going to be miserable with you too. And then we can just com- uh, continue to pout all day. But if you give me a 1% chance, Evan Trance is going to run after that. Like, let's get to work. And especially someone, it's a shame that sometimes the most brilliant people get disabled by this stuff because I'm like, do we need your brain? Like, one person can invent something really cool that helps fix this stuff, um, especially the more complicated issues in this world. Now, with this, I'm, I'm actually, so especially since you've worked with teachers as someone who um, was teaching at one point, it, how do you even recommend, like, is there any recommendations, I should say, for the teachers to be able to, or schools rather, I guess, to be able to address these issues? Because that's my thing is like, I go into these schools, the teachers sometimes, if I do like a parent talk, they'll be there and they'll get to hear about my natural stuff. Cause that's, I talk more to the parents about that side, right? I might leave it out with the kids a little bit, but the parents I talk to and they say, oh, this is great. This is awesome. How the heck do we get the school to like change and do the stuff that's necessary? So I don't know whether it's like a special food company I can recommend that maybe serves some better stuff for kids or, or what, but I'm curious about what recommendations you'd like to see implemented in a school or that you've seen work in the past. Hey, my friends, it is Detective Ev popping in here really quick. If you're listening to this episode and perhaps you're a regular listener and you're thinking, you know, I like the content that these guys put out, then please consider leaving us a review on whatever app you are listening on. It can just be the five-star thing. That's totally fine. If you want to leave a few kind words, that's even better. We would greatly appreciate it. It helps us get this information to more people who have no idea that this exists. All right, now back to today's episode. That is a big, big question, Evan. And I wish I had a a straightforward solution. I would say we have a systemic problem in schools. And, you know, it's because in public schools, I mean, there's so much bureaucracy and big picture stuff that happens that that really hampers what individuals can do on a. But we need some cultural change. I mean, I did work with one school. And um, they, they hired me to, they, they needed a, like a healthy eating plan for, and they wanted to like, um, they, they want, no, they wanted, sorry, a healthy eating policy. That's what they wanted. And, and, and I was like, listen, you guys, like a healthy eating policy is not going to fly if you don't have a healthy culture in your school. Like you need, you need a health culture in your school because it's not just about eating. Like you can't tell a parent to, to stop bringing, stop getting their kids granola bars in their lunch if you're going to sell cotton candy at the fair. Like it, it just doesn't, doesn't jive. Right. So you need, you need a healthy school policy more than a healthy food policy um, so that everybody who comes into that school 
comes into a culture that is supportive of healthy child development. And we're a, we're a long ways off of that. And sadly, it's, you know, it's really private schools that have the, the capacity to really create that because they have total control over, over their community. Public schools is going to take a long time. I think that's what everyone wants. Everyone wants health for kids. Everyone wants it to be a healthy environment. But um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of like strategic multifaceted plans to say, okay, here's here, like everything from social media to, to, you know, technology, to food, to, you know, how we talk about kids, to curriculum, like all of that stuff. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, we're going, we're going big, big picture here. Um, I, I, you know, what, the way I do it in, in my little ecosystem, my little, my little roadmap that I have for families is I, I say, listen, we're going to learn about your child's body first and foremost, so that we can figure out what the leverage points are, that we can help them feel better. But there are five things that every child needs, regardless of regardless of whatever we find out in the lab testing. Like they need real food. They need clean air and clean water. They need restorative sleep. They need movement and play. And they need connection and a sense of purpose. And so we work on those things. We, t- we, we, we talk about, we, we help the parents talk to their kids about like, which of those do you find interesting? Like, where can we work there so that they can learn to take care of themselves? And then we, you know, figure out all of the hidden pressures and all that stuff through the lab testing. Um, so I would love to see more of that kind of stuff be integrated into school curriculum to be like, hey, what's your what's your health plan for this year, <laughs> you know, or this week or this month, like however, depending on the age level of the kid. I think to um, I appreciate you hum- uh, humoring my big picture questions, by the way, because I'm always just trying to like see it like because I know it can happen, but it's it's going to take a little bit. And so any little piece of advice I can get, I'll, I'll take because I. I hate leaving these teachers with nothing when they ask me, what can we do in the schools? And I'm like, I I mean, obviously let's start with the healthy habits, but sometimes you don't even know where to start. And I think the other problem is here too, it's not even like the schools are just blatantly neglecting these people and not telling them this stuff. It's that they don't know it either. It's the same issue with the doctors. It's not like the doctor that was recommending Xanax and Zoloft to me was hiding the real secret behind their desk. They didn't know either. They were, and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. I'm just saying it in a health way. They they didn't look particularly healthy. They were very overweight, very pale. They looked exhausted. They got the bags under their eyes. I mean, this was not someone that was lying to me and then and using something in the back. And so I think that's the problem. It's you know, they say what the first step in identify or fixing a problem is identifying that there is one and recognizing that there is one. I don't even know that that's the obvious recognized problem when we see the behavioral issues in kids nowadays. A lot of it's been blamed to COVID. I'm in the schools. I definitely saw the increase due to COVID, but there was a lot going on before, guys. I'm like, there's a ton of stuff happening that had nothing to do with COVID. And so now, unfortunately, as much recognition is being given to the mental health side, there's the people like myself that actually dealt with this for nutritional reasons or whatever else, which is millions and millions of kids, it's almost getting swept under the rug because we think, oh, well, it's COVID and it's this time. It's like, well, no, it doesn't really have to be this way. Um, and I think that's powerful that you mentioned focusing on this, th- that those five things first, right? Like, are they getting good sleep? Are they getting clean air and clean water? Because I'm sure you've seen this since you actually work pretty much exclusively with them. Kids respond so quickly to when they get the right things. I mean, adults can respond pretty fast. A kid it could be a two-day transformation sometimes. They're not in perfect health. Don't I don't want to speak ignorantly here and someone get me wrong that's listening, but you'd be 
surprised how fast a kid can change when they are actually given the things that shockingly a kid was meant to have, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, so I, you know, to bring it down to something really practical, I think the thing with, with, you know, teachers and parents is they want management tools. Like if it, when I tell parents that like for every one uh, gluten symptom that is digestive, there are eight that are neurological, right? Like that, the, the, the number one mm-hmm. tissue in the, in the, in the body that gluten likes to attack is the brain tissue. Like that's like, Oh, okay. We're going to give this a shot. And I have literally had people go off gluten, like take their kid off gluten for a while. And like the teachers think that they're on medication because there's that much of a profound shift. It doesn't happen all the time. Like that's not always the thing. There's never, there's very rarely like one answer to what's going on, but you know, not a lot of people know that. Not a lot of people, and still even even specialists who who you know understand celiac disease don't understand the extent to which it can affect the brain and the nervous system. So I, I just think it's about you know getting this out there. The more people who have success with this, the more. I mean, when parents when parents go through my program and they like have their kid on the other side, they they're like telling everybody they're like, Oh my gosh, everyone needs to know this. Um, because yeah, it's, it's a rocky road to try to figure it out and trying this and trying that. But you know, when you come out the other end of it, the more people who have success with it, the more it's going to become more mainstream and more, I mean, I, I, I really, I imagine a time when talking about someone's, someone's food, when, when they struggle with something, you know, neurological or in mental health is, is just as common as, it now is to talk about, you know, smoking cessation when you have a chronic cough or, you know, <laughs> these things, these things take time to become yeah. normal, normalized, but that's what the work you and I are doing is to, to get it more out there so that it becomes normalized. Bingo. And that's why I, I love the privilege to get to do this because I do think I, I love the saying facts, tell stories, sell. And it's not that we're selling anything in particular, right? But we're selling an idea, a way of living, a, a concept. And I, I could give people all the facts. I actually thought that was fascinating about the, you know, for every one digestive symptom, there's eight neurological ones. I did not know that. But, you know, some people don't really resonate with that as much. When you hear how a life is transformed, that's something that sticks with people 20, 30 years later sometimes. And that leads me to um my next question here. As someone who's been doing this for so long, I can only imagine the stories that you have. Um, So we can, if you want to do like even two or three, that's fine. But one's also okay. It's up to you. I'm just curious, like, are there any client testimonials that really stick out? Like maybe a totally troubled kid and then you were able to come in and do this work and just kind of transform things for the family. I'm, I'm very curious about that. Well, I mean, it, it's always a mix, right? Because there's, there's information and there's implementation, right? So I have had, I'm just going to be straight up and honest and say, I have had people where we, we find out a lot about a kid. There's like all kinds of things going on, but you know, we work for months and months and months to get the kid to buy in, to take the supplements and to do the changes. So there is, there is that side of thing, but I've also had kids, particularly the really sensitive kids who, who, who just want to feel better, you know, when there's even just that little glimmer in them of just like, I just wish I didn't fly off the handle all the time. I just, or, or they they'll, they'll, um, I have one kid in particular I'm thinking of who was, um, very volatile. Like he would just, he would just lose it and get kind of aggressive, but then he would like take himself away and then he'd come back and have this like remorseful moment of just like, oh, I just don't want this anymore. 
And we found out that he was extremely sensitive to gluten. He had a lot of intestinal permeability. Corn was a big deal too. And dairy was a big deal too. His digestive system was, was messed up. Um, he had, he had a lot of dysbiotic growth, a lot of opportunistic bacteria, uh, running the show in, in his, in his gut. And he had really high pyrroles as well, which is something that I've, I've started testing for as well. These are, these are compounds that come out in the urine and they leach zinc and B6. And so when you don't have, when you have chronic deficiency of zinc and B6, it's really hard to create your neurotransmitters, those, those calming, those calming neurochemicals. Um, and so he had that as well. And so, yeah, there was like a perfect storm. And so for him, like he was a teenager. So what we did was um, I video reviewed the labs with him in mind, because I don't want any kid to feel like they're broken or there's something wrong with them. Like that's not what these tests are telling us. They're just, they're just windows into the body and they're helping us identify the opportunities we can leverage to help them feel better. So, um, so I did that and I, and, and he, he saw it and he was like, Oh, like he was just wide eyed, right? He was like, wow. And so then he was on board. He's like, if this can, if this can help me be, he literally said, like, if this can help me be a more productive uh, member of the family, like it was something along those lines. Like this kid, this kid was incredible. He just wanted to do right, but he was out of control. He just, he didn't have control over himself. And so, um, so, so he, I mean, he was a, a great success. He, he took the supplements, he did the things he made, he started making different choices. He, he said no to the birthday cakes. Like he was the, he was the, the model, <laughs> the model kid. Now, like I say, they're not all, it's not all this cut and dry, but uh, those are the biggest rewards when the kids have an interest. And we always have that conversation, like how interested in this are you? If they are interested, even the littlest bit, then we bring them into the process and we explain what's going on in their body and how it relates to, you know, how they're feeling and thinking. And often that will help buy them in. Yeah, that's that's so cool that he was uh, that interested in it. And, you know, I'm not particularly surprised because the reason I don't talk about the functional stuff always with the kids is because it doesn't relate to everyone in that audience. And I, I can speak to things that relate to everyone in that audience typically. but. With the things I do recommend, like my little steps at the end, right, that are generic but useful nonetheless, they kids want to learn, man. They're sponges. Almost sometimes as adults, at least I found in my life, they project their rigidness onto the kids and act like, well, they're not going to want to do that. It's like, no, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, you don't want to do that. Kids are learning all the time. They're changing every single day and every single week. I, I find that they are some of the most receptive human beings to change with this. And you know what? Especially with the thing of like feeling out of control and ending up in trouble for this, it really it brings me back to when I was in middle school and high school. I mean, I was getting in trouble for fights. I ended up in a juvenile detention facility. And now I don't want to sit here and excuse my actions. That's not, I'm not even advocating this for me per se. But it does beg the question then, if kids are this susceptible to this stuff and they truly feel out of control, I mean, how many people are ending up in the quote unquote system, you know what I mean? Like the juvenile system or something like that, when they're like sensitive to gluten or something similar, right? Because the adults act like crap when they're moody or whatever. Kids, I mean, they might actually do something that really has some serious consequences for them. And I feel like we need to get people thinking about like that kind of thing, right? There, there's kids' lives that are going to be impacted for the rest of their time here because of something that maybe wasn't even their 
entirely their fault to begin with. I, I find it hard to believe that I had no role in the things that I did when I was younger. But at a certain point, I mean, a six-year-old's pretty hard to blame for most of their actions, in my opinion, especially if they're sick and neuroinflamed and feeling like crap all the time. That's a pretty tough way to operate in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I break it apart to be like, there are, there are, so there's, there's their stress cup, right? It's like, it's all about their stress cup and there's social stressors. There's environmental stressors. There's biological stressors and we need to figure out what's filling up their cup. And it could, you know, it'll be a different, different weight for each kid, but we also have to look at, you know, their genetic capacity to tolerate stress because they're, that's a thing. Like, I mean, we know epigenetics and we don't have to get into epigenetics and genetics, but um, you know, some people just, when they are under stress, they are more likely to show, you know, symptoms of depression or symptoms of anxiety or symptoms of impulsivity because of their genetics. And, and so then we have to say, okay, so what are your biggest stress triggers? What's filling your cup and where are our leverage points there? So all of those things need to be taken into account. Cool. Well, Jess, if I'm, I think this is a really good opportunity. I I hope for you and the things that you're doing. I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a while anyway, but I know that many of the people listen, they're typically coming on for a personal health story. Believe it or not, it's actually, it's really not that common that we get someone on that is really focusing on the kids. So if people are interested in working with you, where can they find you? Yeah, everything's at my website, which is my name. So jesssherman.com. There's three S's in a row. Sometimes that trips people up. Um, and the, the program that I bring people through is called the resilience roadmap. It's, it's literally a roadmap to stronger stress response, stronger resilience. Um, so that's justsherman.com slash resilience roadmap. So everything's on my website. I have a podcast called the feeding families podcast. I have a book called raising resilience. Um, but everything can be found from, from the hub of my website. Excellent. And of course, we'll have this in the show notes for people, but it's always good to just hear it verbally. Um, but I can't believe 50 minutes completely flew by here today. I want to finish by asking you the signature question on the Health Detective podcast. And I guess this is one's kind of tough because it's a little, we're focusing on families today and focusing on parents. So you can, whether it's a message to parents, kids or whatever, you can take this however you'd like. But the question normally is, in this case, if I could give you, Jess, a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health. So maybe that's like every single parent or every single kid. It's up to you. What's the one thing that Jess would get them to do? Oh, there's so many. (laughs) I should have done my homework so I knew what the question was. I'll tell you, one thing I would wave my magic wand on is to erase mom guilt like just erase it from the face of the planet. So it does not exist because guilt does not serve us. And we all, we all think of what we should have done, what we could have done, what we didn't do, what I wish I had done and what what wish I had known. So that would be gone. And then I think, I think if I can do two, can I do two? If I could do two, um, one would be to just, just think, have a, have a good solid conversation with your parenting partner about, your about health and about your vision of health. What what is it? What does a healthy family look like to you? Feel like to you? What does a healthy child look like and feel like to you? And how close or how far away from that are you right now? And I think, I mean, it's it's. I I, I tell people that I help people course correct. <laughs> I just course correct, but you have to first identify that there's something to course correct. So we get so busy, we get so busy in our lives and we're just on a treadmill as parents, right? 
Um, so just having a like stop for a sec, take a breath and think about what what the vision of health you have for what is it you that you want for your for your kids and for your family. Um, and from there, if you if you have that vision, that's the starting point, because you don't know how to get there, because otherwise you would be there by now. So don't like, don't worry about that. Just think about what it is that you want and then find people who, who can, who can help. It, it might not be me, but it, you know, like find people who, who have a plan in place for how you can get closer to that vision of health. I could do so many more, Evan. There are so many things, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, guys, that'll do it for today's episode with Jess Sherman. I hope you like this one. I think this is well overdue. It's one that we need in today's world. And listen, she admitted it herself. It's tough working with families because you're trying to get someone else healthy, which is already tough enough to get them on board to do this. And you're trying to do it through someone else. And then on top of that, they are a kid. But as you heard from Jess's client testimonials, I think there's something to be said about this idea that kids, we got to give them a little more credit when they have a problem and they know there's a problem. There's something that they don't like, and they are presented something that actually makes sense. I find that they're really open to it. I think it's sometimes adults like we're projecting onto the kids because we're more solidified in our ways and we've become more closed minded. We think, oh, well, they won't think this way. I think kids are some of the most open minded individuals. And if they can see a clear connection between what the lab data is showing and the actions needed to get something unfavorable in their life to change, I think it makes sense. So we need to give them a little more credit. And hopefully if you are out there and your kid is suffering or someone else's kid suffering, maybe you send this podcast along to them. Or if you're an FDN listening, you go and try to give them some help because we need more people working with kids. I feel a little hypocritical because I don't do it myself as an FDN because I know how tough it is. Uh, but you know, I do my work in the schools, So I, I try to do my part. I think if we all did our part in our own ways, whether it's FDN or something uh, completely different, that would really help change the world and get it back on track because this next generation I think is going to be, well, let's put it this way. How this next generation turns out is really going to have some major implications on what our world will look like 10, 15, 20 years from now. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you like the information that we're sharing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple and or Spotify. If you would do that, we would love you even more than we already do. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon, but until next time, take care.